0: So then, if you awaken from this illusion, persistence of vision. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Persistence of Vision podcast, the podcast that asks why you are listening. (laughs) I love it. Why are you listening? (laughs) You're listening because we're here to inspire conversations. And we do so in every dimension of time and space.
1: Hello, folks. I am Lance Fever Myers. Hello, folks. I'm LBDO. This is Persistence of Vision Podcast. Um, Please go to our website, which is pov-publishing.com. There you can read uh, poetry, essays, and short stories and all kinds of great stuff uh, by world-class artists and writers. You can see all the links to all, all our past podcasts. And links to buy my book, Why So Much, by Lance Myers and And my book, The Goddamn Fool, by LB That's right. Please go do that right now. Pause, go buy our books, and then come back and listen to us talk about Tristram Shandy.
0: Yes, and we're not only talking about Tristram Shandy, but we are talking to a former arts and entertainment editor and book reviewer for the Austin American Statesman, the great Jody Seaborne. What's up, Jody?
2: Hey, thank you.
0: thank you for having me on, and that is the Life and Opinions of
2: Mr. Shandy.
1: Uh-huh. Aha.
2: Yes, I that's right. St- I sit corrected. Yes, the, uh, because the opinion part is very important. We shouldn't forget that. That's right.
1: Right. Tell, okay, so tell us about why that's important. What, the, tell, well, Okay, so this book is written in sort of first-person, right? Like, right. Uh, uh, and, and it's all about this man, Tristan Shandy, Shandy. Yeah. from his point of view. And uh, and what makes this book exceptional? Well, for me, um, I first read this
2: book in college, so uh, forty years ago. Seems odd to so say. So you were high. Seems, <laughs> seems odd to say that. And then I re-read uh, it uh, about twenty five years ago. And then reread it for this podcast. And um, I think that it is uh, often described as the first postmodern novel. It is. Um, uh, there was a movie came out about fifteen years ago. Tristram Shandy, starring, uh, made by Michael Winterbottom, and starring, starring uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Yes. And in the film. Uh, Steve Coogan is asked why Tristram Shandy, and, and he says, Well, it, it's a postmodern novel before there was a modern to be post about. <laughs> yes. Pre-modern,
0: and modern, postmodern.
2: pre modern, postmodern. And anyone who's read the novel, I think that that is their first impression is, mm-hmm. Oh my God, this novel, which was written over the course of several years from 1759 to 1767, is so modern, so contemporary. It's meta. It's comic, it's satiric, it's everything that you would expect something like, uh, you know, a postmodern novel written 20, 30 years ago to be. So that is uh, one of its main appeals. For me.
1: So, Postmodern, written in 1750.
2: uh, It was written in a series of volumes uh, from 1759 to 1767. The first two volumes were self published by Lawrence. We should say the author is Lawrence Stern. Right. Lawrence Stern was a. uh, We don't want to give him a swell hat. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) Lawrence Stern was a a, a clergyman in Yorkshire, Um, you know, kind of a nobody. Uh, Until this book was published, although the people in Yorkshire knew who he was. He had a reputation in Yorkshire Um, And he wrote this uh, the first two volumes in 1759 self-published them Um, He pestered a publisher in London to take a look the publisher in London took a look decided to publish them And it became an overnight sensation and then he published uh, volumes three and four in 1761 volumes 5 and 6 in late 1761, there was a lapse between volume 7 and 8, I think those came out in 1765 and then the last volume, volume 9, came out in 1767 and I should say that the volumes are fairly short, the book as a whole when you put all the volumes together is 500 pages roughly, so it's a manageable book, but
1: that's its history. I was going to ask. Okay, so you—the first thing you've told us about this thing is that it's postmodern, right? So, tell us what you mean by that. Why is that? Well, does anyone know what does anyone know what (laughs) postmodern is? That's why I want to know. I have (laughs) no
2: idea what postmodern is. Right. For me, (laughs) (coughs) it's it's a very funny book. It's almost slapstick in portions. Um, It's uh, the life of Tristram Shandy, but we never really get. Through his life, when the book ends, uh, Tristram is only about five years old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although there's a segment uh, in volumes uh, seven and eight where there's a bit of a travelogue that takes place when Tristram is an adult. But for the most part, the book, um, uh, most of the book uh, occurs before Tristram's even born. Right, yeah. Uh, and the main characters are Tristram's father. Walter Shandy and Uncle Toby, who is one of the finest characters in all of English literature. Uncle Toby is just a a, a, a love Uncle Toby, fantastic Mm -hmm. character. Um, And so you've got these great characters, you've got these great situations that border on slapstick and on some occasions even cross into slapstick. It's, um, It's satiric, it pokes fun at the novel, at the form. It's constantly stern, or I should say Tristram Shandy, is constantly commenting on the novel. He's constantly commenting about his struggles with writing the novel. Uh, It's digressive, but it's also progressive. He says at one point, I think in volume one, that dear reader, excuse my constant digressions, but bear with me because while it may appear I'm going off way over on this tangent, and I'm circling back over here and I'm going backward and I'm going sideways. I'm actually all the time going forward. You will see. Bear with me. Mm -hmm. And indeed he is. It's constantly, as the novel digresses, it progresses. Hmm. Um, And um, it's very sentimental, but not in a mockish way. And it's, uh, I think most of all, it's a very forgiving novel. Hmm. Stern is constantly... Explicitly, but mostly implicitly telling the reader to forbear with people around you that we we all have our eccentricities we all have our quirks and as long as those quirks aren't harming anyone let them be and um, Admire the passion behind them,
0: and there certainly are some quirks in this book Yes, some very quir- with punctuation. <laughs> <laughs> well the the book that this most reminded me of was uh, was an even earlier novel, Don Quixote. Yes, very much influenced by Don Quixote. Yes, yeah, so he, he references Cervantes throughout. Yeah. He references Cervantes. He references uh, Sa- Sancho Panza. He references uh, the horse uh, Rosiante, right. and uh, yeah, they, they they have that in common, though, don't they? That kind of postmodern self-referential. Uh, the, the the dubious narrator, or is that the word, untrustworthy narrator? Yeah,
2: you could say that because uh, if most of the events in the book are taking place before Tristram Shandy's even born, how does he know that any of this took, exactly. took place? Lawrence Stern is aware, or I keep saying Lawrence Stern, Tristram Shandy, the author is aware, of, the narrator is aware of this issue, and he says early on, oh yes, I know that you're probably wondering how do I know all this, well, my Uncle told, Toby told me. Yeah. But there are some events that
0: even Toby, Uncle Toby could possibly have known about. So uh,
2: yes. that's one of the conceits, I think,
0: in the novel, one of the jokes that is constantly recurring. So what do you think drew draws this you to this book particularly? I mean, uh, out of all the books that you could have come on to discuss, obviously you enjoy the book, you like the book, but what, what do you think makes it so important to you?
2: Well, when you first asked if I wanted to be on this podcast and uh, what book I would discuss, I mentioned Moby Dick, but it had already been <laughs> <laughs> by our yes. friend Mike Yes. Um, I would say that uh, if I had to say, you know, if someone asked me, what's, what's your desert island book? Mm-hmm. The one book you take to a desert island, I think it would be Tristram Shandy. There's just so much to untangle. And you really need I admit that if you, you read this book, you do need to get a copy that has some good footnotes mm-hmm. or, or end notes because there are references that are kind of lost to modern uh, audiences. But you can put put that aside and just focus on the main story. Throughout all the digressions and the sidesteps. side steps, there's this wonderful story about Uncle Toby. Um And his wound that he suffered. Uncle Toby is a a soldier. Yes. Who was wounded in 1695, somewhere around there, during the siege of Namur in Flanders. The wound was in his groin. Yes. A A grievous wound. A grievous wound. (laughs) And it took Uncle Toby three or four years to recover from the wound. Uh, And so... The novel follows his kind of, and, and Toby is a very modest man. He's a very kind man. Unlike uh, Walter Shandy, Tristram's father, mm-hmm. he's an unpretentious man. And uh, he uh, follows his journey, and he becomes, uh, essential to his recovery from his wound, is uh, he, he develops what Tristram calls a hobby horse. Yes. Which is a passion. A hobby, and his manservant, uh, Corporal Trim. Trim served with uh, Uncle Toby in, in the British Army, and was also wounded. Yeah, uh, but in the knee, so not nearly as. Although there's a part in the novel where they're, they're, they have an argument on which is the more grievous wound: <laughs> to be wounded in the knee or be wounded in the groin. I, I think most of us yeah, would agree. Most of us would have a groin. groin. <laughs> Straightforward uh, take on. But uh, so it follows Toby and he develops this, at Trim's suggestion, he develops this passion on fortifications
0: mm-hmm.
2: in order to learn exactly how he was wounded and where he was wounded. So on a bowling green, on a strip of lawn behind Toby's house, he and Trim construct the fortifications of Namur. Uh, and so that, so that Toby can locate exactly where he was wounded. And that becomes a joke at the end of the novel. Um, and then as the novel progresses, Tristram keeps telling us that, uh, bear with me, dear reader, I'm getting to it, but very important to my book is the courtship of Uncle Toby with the widow, Wadman. Yes. So eventually we get to that, and that's near the end of the book, this um, courtship between Uncle Toby and the Widow Wadman, uh, which ends with this terrible misunderstanding (laughs) involving Uncle Toby's wound. (laughs) And uh, so he's he's just this fantastic character. I think everyone who's read the book just comes away loving Uncle Toby.
1: What do you think this book could tell us about the time and place that, that it was written? I mean, you guys both mentioned uh, um, Don Quixote, but also Jonathan Swift. Swift was right. uh, yes, a big, right. uh, you know, influence, and 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 I, c- I can see some similarities in the takes, you know, in the right. um, the style and whatnot. So, what, what do you think? Well, that,
2: well, even the title is a play it was very popular at the time in the 18th century with uh, British novels to have not to have a title, the adventures of or the mm. history sure. of. Um, so, um, like even Robinson Crusoe uh, by Daniel Defoe, I think it's real title. It's official title is something like the Surprising Adventures of yeah. Robinson Crusoe. Um, so yeah, you, you had this. The no- I guess we should mention that the novel at this point is really kind of coming into its own. Right. Right. Um, and it's looked down upon by the educated elite as a form of entertainment Mm -hmm. uh, for the masses. Um, But it already, by the time Lawrence Stern writes Tristram Shandy, it has developed certain, um, you know, it follows certain models. There's certain conceits. There's certain rules that are being developed. And Stern starts, he pokes fun at those. Right. uh, even in his title, it was again, like I said, it was very popular at the time to title your books the adventures of or the the life and history of, and by saying the life and opinions of, that's that's a poke at that conceit because really Stern is not that interested in writing the life of Tristram <laughs> <laughs> Um uh, He's interested in just kind of going off creating these sort of jokes and poking fun at everything that's in the air. And he keeps promising us um, you know the, underneath this cl- clothing, this, this surface profundity, he keeps prom- promising us chapters on things like buttonholes and whiskers, <laughs> but then never delivers. Mm. You know that's part of the joke too, the novel. He promises all kinds of things throughout and then never delivers.
0: I wonder if you would mind... I don't know if that answered your question. (laughs) I wonder if you'd mind reading to us from the very beginning of the novel. Oh, yeah, yeah. We should say... It's a brilliant beginning. I
2: love the beginning. We should say that, uh, yeah, it begins, the novel, one of the great openings uh, in British literature, the novel begins with Mr. Shandy and Mrs. Shandy uh, doing the deed. (laughs) And... uh, Mr. Shandy is interrupted by Mrs. Shandy because he's in the habit of once a month on the first Sunday of the month, maybe it's the last Sunday of the month, I don't remember, of winding the clock, (laughs) the big clock in the hallway, and then going upstairs and doing his husbandly duties. Um, And so one Sunday when he's doing that, Mrs. Shandy, in the middle of the act, remembers, thinks to herself, I don't remember Walter winding the clock. (laughs) oh dear, did you wind the clock? And that interrupts things. And Tristram considers that the source of all of his life's woes and uh, issues that he's had (laughs) in his life. So yeah, I could read that. It's it's a great beginning. Let me get to it. Oh, yes.
1: While Jody finds his place, uh, I was just going to. Oh, okay. Got it. Take it away. Yes. I I wish either my father or my mother, or indeed both of them, as they were in duty both equally bound to it, had
2: minded what they were about when they begot me. (laughs) Had they duly considered how much depended upon what they were then doing, that not only the production of a rational being was concerned but that possibly the happy formulation and temperature of his body perhaps his genius in the very cast of his mind. And for aught they knew to the contrary, even the fortunes of his whole house might take their turn from the humors and dispositions which they were then uppermost. Had they duly weighed and considered all this and proceeded accordingly, I am barely persuaded I should have made a quite different figure You're in the world that in which the reader is likely to see me. Believe me, good folk, This is not so inconsiderable a thing as many of you may think it. You have all, I dare say, heard of the animal spirits, as how they are transfused from father to son, etc., etc., and a great deal to that purpose. Well, you may take my word that nine parts and ten of a man's sense, or his nonsense, his successes and miscarriages in this world depend upon their motions and activity, and the different tracks and trains you put them into. So that when they are once set a-going, whether right or wrong, tis not a half penny matter. Away they go, cluttering like Hago hey, mad, and by treading the same steps over and over again, they presently make a road of it, as plain and as smooth as a garden walk. which, when they are once used to, the devil himself sometimes shall not be able to drive them off it. Pray, my dear, quoth my mother, have you not forgot to wind up the clock? <laughs> Good God, cried my father, making an exclamation, ever woman since the creation of the world interrupt a man with such a silly question? Pray, what was your father saying? Nothing?
1: (laughs) Marvelous. Fantastic.
2: Yes. So I think it might be the only great work of
1: British literature that begins with (laughs) coitus interruptus. (laughs) Fantastic. So, yeah, what I, I think uh, back to what I was talking about, and I think this, this speaks to it, the, um, the the works that have survived from that period as the touchstones for, you know, uh, literature and art and that sort of thing seem to, to be very subversive mm-hmm. from this, and, you know, poking fun at, at uh, in, you know, um, conventions, right. uh, societal conventions well, in particular. I said earlier this novel was a huge hit. Right, like, like
2: yeah. But there were also those who considered it body, mm, right? And indecent, and heavily criticized it for its focus on. Well, there are these, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink throughout yeah. uh, references to noses and uh, all kinds of things that could be interpreted as, as anything as other than a nose. <laughs> In the novel, uh, uh, Tristan, Tristan Shandy stops and tells. The before Freud, <laughs> because he tells the reader at some point, you know, all this stuff that I'm writing about noses, um, I mean noses, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes a nose is just a nose, right. yeah, yeah. it's not what you may think it is, dear reader.
0: Yeah. Um, it's interesting to, to look back at that time period and realize that the, the there is so much, To Shakespeare, uh, Swift, uh, Cervantes—I mean, they—they they were not Victorians. These were these were these were people who were living in a different period than. Right. Well, one of the big hits of about
2: twenty years before Tristram Shandy was um, Samuel Richardson's Pamela, mm. which was a big—it's an epistolary novel. This 16 year old chambermaid or serving servant girl writing letters about her master trying to seduce her. And I, now that I mentioned this, I hope I'm not confusing Pamela with Richardson's other novel, Clarissa, but there's a, a, a scene in, in uh, Pamela where as
0: she's writing, her master puts his hand on her breast. Mm. So because it's an epistolary
2: novel, it means she is writing,
0: oh my god, he's <laughs> and uh, Fielding, who wrote Tom Jones, um, another one of my favorite books from this period,
2: he wrote a parody of Pamela called Shamala, Mm -hmm. and it is uh, hilarious, it's it's one of the funniest books I've ever read, and when she mocks that whole idea of the epistolary novel. Uh, So it's within that climate that Stern is writing. Yes. Um, the, The characters throughout... Walter Shandy, Tristan's father, and of course Uncle Toby, who's one
0: of the great characters of all time. But there's also uh, Parson Yorick, mm-hmm. is one of the characters. Parson Yorick is a uh, clergyman in the region. He's kind of the Lawrence Stern stand. Uh huh, and he's um, from Denmark. Right, and there's uh, Dr. Slep, who is <laughs> Doctor Slop. The, Doctor, yeah. uh, Man, the man midwife. Uh huh.
2: Answer. The widow Lock. Uh, there's a Medea, a servant. He's a bit player. Uh, Susanna, a uh, chambermaid. and So you've got these uh, really funny uh, secondary characters to pop.
0: Yeah, you were saying that he, that Stern was a uh, an obscure. I mean, not somewhat obscure. Known in this district. No, in this and then the book comes out and is very successful. His life is quite transformed by this. Right. He becomes
2: a literary sensation, and he begins spending more and more of his time in London. Uh, Stern also suffered from um, tuberculosis, mm. consumption, as they called it. In fact, that would kill him in uh, 1768. He, um, the reason there was so much time went by between the 5th and 6th volume because he spent most of that time traveling around France
0: and Italy trying to take heal, the waters mm-hmm. relieve his uh, tuberculosis and um, out of
2: those journeys he not only produced kind of a travel parody that's part of Tristan Shandy but he also wrote a book called The Sentimental Journey that was published just a month or two before he died and I've only dipped into The Sentimental Journey so I can't say much about it, but uh, I know some people consider it also a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but yeah, he he's basically was away from England for three or four years trying to relieve his uh, symptoms. Um, and he writes about that. Through, it comes up occasionally in Tristram Shandy, where Tristram writes about a burst vessel and that's long and mm-hmm. about his late. Hymn
1: Yes, yes. When reading about this, uh, I I read a a bit about the um, guy who uh, translated this into Spanish, Javier Marias, and uh, he he mentions having read the book, and I just love this bit about, um, because we've all had this experience, right? Whether it's with a novel or a a musical composition or something, it's like he said, uh, having read this, it taught me that anything can be in a novel. It's like really like sort of, you know, it's like I remember going to see Graham Reynolds play one time mm-hmm. very early on and not realizing that, that that is the kind of thing that could be done with music. Right. You know, those experiences where you're like, oh, this changes everything. You know? Yeah,
0: you can do that.
1: <laughs> right, right. You can do that with music. You can do that with a novel. Well,
2: the big uh. tragedies in Christian's life that he writes about are really trivial in, in the end. There's the uh, dispersal of the animal spirits. <laughs> Poitus interruptus. Um, <laughs> his nose is, and that's one reason why noses figure prominently throughout the book. His nose is crushed when Dr. Sloth
1: <laughs> right. yeah. Dr.
2: Slott uses forceps, which were then kind of a new mm. thing. And there's a great argument between Mrs. Shandy and Walter Shandy. Uh, they have a she were pregnant, she would get to lie in, as they call it in the book, in
0: London, mm. if
2: she had access to good doctors. Um, but there's a phrase or something in the marital agreement that if she has a false pregnancy or a pregnancy, uh, you know, maybe a miscarriage or something, then the next pregnancy she has to lie in in the country. And so Tristram is that next pregnancy, and by the marital agreement, he's lying in the country. Well, Mrs. Shandy insists that they have a woman midwife, a midwife who has a good reputation in the area, but Walter insists on Dr. Slott, (laughs) who's a man of education, (laughs) scientific advancement, and uh, they want him, he wants him to be present at the delivery. So it results in the crushing of nose by the force out. And then the other tragedy that occurs is the accidental circumcision of <laughs> <Right. side. laughs> When the window sash, uh, he's being watched by Susanna. Uh, he needs to pee. Susanna tells him, just pee out the window. And as he's doing so, the window sash slams down. And mm. he is accidentally circumcised. <laughs> yeah, but
1: there's funny. also the issue with his, his name, too, right? Oh,
2: that's right, yes. And then there's the naming issue His father um, insisted he
1: wanted to name him Trismegistus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure where that name comes from. I didn't bother to look it up.
1: Uh, Some uh, reference to a... Yeah, some um, mythology or something. It has has some ancient classical... Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. But uh, his father considered whatever you do, for God's sake, don't name him Tristram. (laughs) It is the worst name. (laughs) So when uh, the time for naming uh, Tristram comes, Walter is lying in bed, and he needs to put on his breeches, but the naming needs to take place right then and there, because they think Tristram is going to die. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, Walter tells Susanna, all right, while I'm putting on my breeches, tell the parson um, that the name is Trismegistus." Can you, can you do that? that? Can you do that? Yes, yes, I can do that. Well, she can't. She's saying, <laughs> the name oh, is Tris something, Tris something. And pars- oh, Tristram? <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, he gets this name, which Walter Shandy considers the worst name anyone can possibly have. Uh, and then to make up for it, um, Walter decides to educate Tristram by creating the Tristopedia. <laughs>
0: You know what the Tristopedia reminds me of is the memory machine in the book, Hundred Years of Solitude. Do you remember that? The uh, not really. I've read the book, but I don't really remember the There book. is a plague of insomnia in the book, Hundred Years of Solitude, and in the, as a result of the plague, everyone just stays awake all the time, and, and no one feels the slightest bit tired, so they're quite comfortable not sleeping, except they all start to lose their memory. And so uh, one of the characters starts to make a memory machine, which is essentially like a book uh, <laughs> that is everything that he can remember before he forgets it. And uh, it has filled with these wonderful little entries about, you know, these sort of uh, ludicrous descriptions of what various things are and what they mean. And they're always sl- slightly cockeyed, but it's it's great. And it reminds me of that. Yeah, there's. Uh-
2: stop and rewrite, read read every footnote or go check all the end notes, so I can't say what is real and what isn't real from the Tristopedia or any of the references. You know that some of them are made up, some of them are satiric takes on real events or real people and real books, and then some of them are sincere.
0: um, And this is is probably not not too long after the invention of the Encyclopedia, right?
2: yeah,
0: Stern. I, I think was a big fan of encyclopedias. Mm-hmm. Uh, collection of encyclopedias. The Diderot yeah. encyclopedia, and yeah, very interesting time in history, wasn't it? it was just uh, so much coming to be known and recorded, and so much to make fun of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and
2: this was a time of, you know, candlelight and chamber pots and um, sewage running in the streets. You can imagine what it
0: must have been like. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, I think, and I think that that's probably a part of why there's so much uh, scatological humor and and these kind of references. Yeah,
2: in the eighteenth century, you, you do stumble across a lot of scatological humor and British in the novels from
0: that period. And just, and, and not just humor, but just references that we would we would be surprised to see nowadays. And I think that is probably as part of it is that they they live very close to that kind of thing. I mean, you. And famously in London, if you walked down the street, you had to keep your eye on the sky because <laughs> someone might empty his chamber pot out the window right onto you. You know, it was a perfectly normal thing to do.
1: But I think what's interesting, though, is the um, sort of philosophical, um, you know, air, atmosphere of the time, too, was that man was the pinnacle of creation. Yes. It was very... Uh, Human-centric sort of philosoph- philosophical take on on things. How uh, you know man is so fantastic, and had this like very proper air about how you know fantastic we are as human beings, and we figured everything out by now, right? That uh, um, technology is is making advances at the time, and we're starting to sort of elevate ourselves. Um, and in that, what kind of what uh, Jonathan Swift is getting at with the Gulliver's Travels bit is it yeah, like pointing it pre, right. Not just yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's but the, the societal, you know, it's like uh, the, the gentlemanly kind of, you know, we're uh, proper and we're, uh, you know, we're not animals, right? That We're different from that. Um and
2: the class divisions, I mean, you see, even though Toby is a kind, you know, wonderful person, uh, Trim is always addressing him as if it pleases your honor, you know, mm-hmm. if i, if I yeah, you know, right. uh, may I speak? Right. And, of course, Toby has no issue with He's always happy to hear Trim speak, but there's in Trim being of a lower class. He's always and it pleases your honor if it pleases your honor. Sure. yes. Is, uh,
1: but I, you, but you mentioned the scatological um, humor, and I think that sort of sort of flies in the face of of the you know aristocracy in that sense. It's like no, we're we're filthy. We are animals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it's towards the of religion
2: at the time. It, it figures prominently in the book. The hmm. church. Debates about religion. Right. Uh, and, and
0: who has a soul and who doesn't have a soul. Yes. Uh, Toby
2: comes down on the side. Uh, there's a conversation near the end between, I think, between Trim and Toby. Maybe it's Walter and Toby. Um, and Toby comes down on the side that everyone has a soul. Of course, we're all children of God. Mm-hmm. But um, the person he's talking not sure about that, but maybe only
0: good Englishmen have Right, right. Which, you know, I think we can agree is probably the, the right <laughs> position. Right? Uh,
2: no, I, I side
0: with Toby. Oh, you do? Well, <laughs> excuse me. I side with Toby on most things. <laughs> That's probably a good policy. Well, uh, and if, if I'm not mistaken, the sky is starting to get dark.
1: I can see some uh, uh, flashes in the on the horizon. It's like the uh, lightning coming. Yeah,
0: it's, it's it's I he I think I hear the sound of thunder rolling in. Are you ready for the lightning around, Jody? I guess
2: so. If the thunder's rolling in, I, I may have to hide. Quivering. <laughs> yes, that's
1: well, fine. Well, before you take off, before you start going go to your hiding spot, I've got some questions for you. Okay. Rapid fire style.
2: Well, like Tristram, I think it will be impossible for me to answer these rapid fire.
1: But I will <laughs> Without some digressions? Is
2: I will endeavor to do so, good so. <laughs> All right, <laughs> with, fantastic. With your uh,
1: okay, well, uh, number one then. Uh, tell us about the very first time you fell in love with a book. Uh, the, uh, you know,
2: my mom, I grew up in a, a house. We didn't have a lot of books. See, it's impossible for me <laughs> <laughs> it, You don't it, have it, to it answer be, quickly. It would be the child-
1: I do, I do. I, that rings a big bell. Grew up in a
2: house. We didn't have a lot of books around. My parents aren't readers. But um, for some reason, when I was five or six years old, my mom felt compelled to buy a set of world book encyclopedias mm-hmm. and the accompanying um, child craft collection. And there's one volume in that Childcraft collection on fables and myths. Ah. And I think that that's where I fell in love
1: with my reading. That – Uh, You know that's like one of those uh, time machine things. You you mentioned childcraft books with the World Book uh, set, and that just sent me way back. I I loved those books. Volume four was the Make and Do book, and that was the one I liked because it had all kinds of crafts and stuff.
2: The illustrations in those books were marvelous. Yeah. Wonderful. I can still see the illustrations. Wow, Make and Do. Really? Like Stern.
0: Oh yeah. God, that like Stern, I,
2: I developed a love for encyclopedias.
1: They had a big, beautiful section on the moon landing that I yeah. loved to read through. Space exploration. I think I traced those drawings yeah. 20 times each.
2: And the edition we had was published before the moon landing, so it was kind of still
0: based, the, those drawings were based mm. on what they thought. Artist impression.
2: impression. You know who else
0: was like that? Is the the beautiful blonde woman in Dr. No. Do you remember he, he encounters Ursula Andres on the beach? And uh, she says that she's never been among polite society or, or any society, never been to school, but she's been reading the Encyclopedia Britannica and she's up to T or something. And she says, and I bet I know a lot more things than you do.
1: <laughs> Man, childcraft. Okay, great answer. Uh, has a book ever changed your mind about anything?
2: Every book I read changes my mind. It completely revises my outlook on
1: it. <laughs> I love it. Well, then, the, okay, so the bigger brother uh, uh, question um, after that is uh, Has a book ever changed your life?
2: Yeah, I would say Tristram Shandy. Well, that's a good question because, uh, like, Tristram Shandy is one of those books that has stuck with me uh, for 40 years. So obviously, it has affected my life in some way. Uh, but did it change it, or did it just reinforce <laughs> pre-existing yeah. thoughts and assumptions and conditions? Uh, I don't know. But, you know I, I, I have, have to, to consider Tristan Shandy* one of those books. Uh, *Moby Dick* one of those books. I'm a big fan of *Moby Dick*. Uh, I like *Tom Jones*. I mentioned *Tom Jones* earlier. Uh,
0: so. If I could, if I could, jab my own bolt of lightning in here. Uh, <laughs> can you tell us one of one or one or two of the the ideas you had that may or may not have been reinforced by this book, or else that you know views on the world that you that you. I, I think it's um, sort of an
2: absurdist topic. Mm-hmm. I've always considered myself a bit of an absurdist, and so anything that has that touch of absurdism to it uh, usually appeals to me. Wonderful.
1: Has a book ever made you cry?
2: I am a cold, heartless bastard. Mm-hmm. I don't cry.
1: You and Graham Reynolds. He yeah. he he also wouldn't admit to, to shedding a tear over literature. I, I, I believe him.
2: I'm sure there's a book out there that I've
1: read that's made me cry. But I yeah, can't think of that. Is there, okay, uh, let me take this a step further. Is there a genre that you're more apt to cry over? Have, have you, you have you, I mean like. Medium. A medium, sure, yes, I'm sorry. Uh, a song, a, a film. Probably film. Film, yeah. okay. Film. All right. Oh, Crybaby. crap. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, of course, I try not to show it. Yeah, <laughs> well, too late. Yeah. Uh, tell us about a book that you have read more than once. Well? Tristan Shandy. Um,
2: uh, Thomas Hardy. I'm a big Thomas Hardy fan. In fact, I thought about I think we discussed LB, that I
1: might do a Hardy novel. Mm. I don't Tristan Shandy. Um, the Return of the Native. Mm. Okay, then uh, uh, here comes the final question of our lightning round, uh, the big one. Do you have any poetry committed to memory? Peace on earth, we sing it
2: and pay a million priests to bring it. After 2,000 years of mass, we've come as far as poison
0: gas. Nice. Who's that E.E. E. Cummings?
2: That is uh, Thomas Hardy. Oh, Thomas Hardy. Look at that. The, uh,
1: I like it. It sums up
2: Hardy as
1: well as anything. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, brilliant. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah,
2: this has been fun. Thanks for having
1: me. Of course. It was uh, was a great conversation. Go out and read it, folks. Read the book. Read my book while you're at it called Why So Much by Lance Myers. Yeah, really. What are you waiting for? Why have you not read Why So Much? Why
0: have you not read Tristram Shandy? Or The Goddamn Fool, for that matter. Come on now. And if you don't want to
2: read Tristram Shandy, check out Walter... uh, Michael Winterbottom's
0: movie of Tristan Cheney. Yes, and check out Michael Winterbottom's movie of Why So
1: Much. <laughs> <laughs> and The Goddamn Fool. Yeah, probably probably coming out. Probably. Do you, are you still working on the audiobook? Are we going to have an audiobook yes, of The yes, Goddamn the Fool? Yes, the audiobook is, is in progress. I'm really looking forward to as the audiobook. As Fantastic. Okay, thanks for joining us. Thank also, you, Jody yes, Thank you, Jody, and thank you for listening, and thank you for checking out our website, which is pov-publishing.com. There you can see all the links to our former podcasts, and um, yeah, we'll see you there. And Bye. Please, please, ladies and gentlemen,
0: remember to
1: wind the clock before you get started. <laughs>